listening to RMD Studios. Welcome to The Table, a podcast for leaders to build community, have conversations, and share resources. podcast. My name is Sean Rainey and I'm your host. This podcast is created by the Church Ministries Department and RMD Studios. The goal of our podcast is to provide resources, training, networking to the ministries of the local church. Hey, we still believe the church is the hope of the world and we're here to serve you and your volunteer leaders. Now today we are wading into the deep end of the pool. We're talking about starting the conversation of racism and inequality with our students and with our kids. Now, I've invited my good friend, Peter Reeves, to the table today. Peter is from Philly. He is an amazing youth pastor at Mount Hope Church in Michigan. He's a national communicator, a coach. He's also the co-founder and one of the hosts of Lead the Generation podcast. And Peter is just a great dude all around, man. Peter, it's so great to have you on the show today, man. Man, Sean, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the table. Now, Peter, so much has transpired over the last few days and weeks. Man, we were sitting in quarantine, man, like stay-at-home orders were starting to lift. We were starting to kind of see some hope or maybe some light at the end of the tunnel of this COVID deal. And then two horrific acts of racism, of hate, and violence hit us where we visually watched two men die very unnecessary deaths in front of our eyes. Ahmaud Arbery and and George Floyd. Man, first of all, Peter, as an African-American man, watching these events unfold, what feelings did you have? What emotions were you experiencing? Man, what was going through your heart and going through your mind? Yeah, to be completely transparent, uh, very difficult to obviously see both of those things in a very visual way. Yeah. Uh, but but the truth is, man, is uh, these these two deaths hit differently because I could see myself in them. Um, mm-hmm. I could see myself uh, in Ahmaud Arbery, very similar in age, same skin color, and uh, I couldn't help but think, man, it didn't matter if it was him or me running down that road, wow. you know, on that day. Uh, very troubling to watch, um, it, you know, even with the George Floyd situation. Yeah. Uh, I think the visual was terrible, but the audio was even worse, hearing him mm. scream and plead and beg for his life. And so uh, as an African-American uh, man watching it, both of those situations, I was just disappointed, uh, confused, overwhelmed uh, by what we had a chance to see. Yeah. Man, it was tough for me to watch it. You know, it, it wasn't a, a black thing or a white thing or Hispanic thing. It was a human thing, man. And, and I watched a, a human being treated worse than an animal. And um, it shook me, Peter. I got to be honest, man. It, it shook me to my core, man. Um, Peter, for you growing up, man, as, as, as a young black kid, when was the first time that you experienced racism personally? Yeah, um, I... Uh... I've been telling this story uh, for a little bit, like this week. So it, it's really still fresh and uh, ver- a lot of emotion uh, s- surrounding it. I remember I was in the fourth grade and uh, uh, one of my friends at school, uh, she was a, a, a white girl. She was having a party at her house mm. and uh, I actually liked her. You know, I'm like, hey, <laughs> I just watched the movie Snow White. You look <laughs> just like her. We're going to do great. Awesome. And so uh, she invited everyone in our class for the majority to her party. And uh, I was raised to have confidence, Sean. So I was just a confident young man, believed in myself, was comfortable in my own skin. And so she didn't give me an invitation in class, but just the optimist that I am, I was like, she's obviously saving the best for last. (laughs) So she's obviously wants to hand me this invitation, you know, face to face. And we're going to have a moment and then we're going to be in love in fourth grade. This is what I was thinking. (laughs) And so uh, at the end of the day, I actually walked up to her and I said, hey, I realized you didn't give me an invitation and that's okay. Like, you don't need to give me one. I understand. I know where we're standing. I know we're good friends. And she stopped me. She said, hey, Peter, I, I just want to be really honest with you. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, uh, you can't come to my party. I said, why? She said, because my mom says I'm not allowed to have you come to my party because you're black. Wow, man. And so, mm. uh, you know, that happened. The bell rang. Uh, I got on the bus. 
And uh, I didn't say anything to anyone. My best friend, who's still my best friend today, asked me, he said, hey, man, what's wrong? And uh, he actually is a person of color. He's Indian. He's not black, yeah. but he got an invitation to the party. Oh, and so man. he was trying to talk about it. And But I didn't say anything to anybody. And so I went home. I turned the water on as hot as I possibly could, Sean, and uh, put my hands under the water, and I tried to wash the black mm. off of my skin. Oh, man. And uh, that, was, that was my first encounter. Uh, with, with someone uh, excluding me because of my skin color or judging me uh, because of my skin color. And it stuck with me forever. And I remember my parents coming home and uh, beginning to explain to me the way the world worked and how people mm. see diff people of different colors. And, and uh, they have a problem uh, celebrating and acknowledging uh, the differences of people. And some people just don't want uh, you know, different people in their houses or around their kids. And so that was my first experience wow. uh, with racism as a young kid. Yeah, fourth grade. That is so tough, Peter. I'm so sorry you had to face that. And man, you're not alone. There's so many other fourth graders and, and, and people just your age, man, you know, facing these. And, and how do you deal with that as a fourth grader, man? You have no, no foundation to process that. Like, it's just, it's so difficult, man. I, yeah. I, I feel like for me right now, the reason I, I just want to kind of share like the heart behind our call today is it started when I was on just a, a, a phone call or a Zoom call with a couple of youth pastors and, and I was asking them about their conversations. Like this had literally just happened with George Floyd and, and I began to ask questions and they didn't have answers. You know, how do we bring up this conversation? How do I talk to my students? Like, how do I deal with this and, and, and help my students in my group process this? Even kids pastors were sending me uh, text messages. Hey, do you have any resources on racism or starting this conversation? And so, so for me, this is it, Peter. Like, like I, I saw something that that you posted and and I knew that we were friends man and I, I reached out to you and I was like Peter I need your help man and 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 so thankfully bro you agreed to to do this man and 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 for me again I'm trying to help our youth pastors help our kids pastors help our church leaders to know how to have this conversation. Some of them just don't know where to start. And so I would just ask you kind of a generic question here. What is a good place to start when we're talking with students or kids or, or even selfishly, Peter, for me, even my own kids, man, I've got a 13-year-old and an eight-year-old. And, and where do we start having this conversation, Peter? Yeah, I think that we start having this conversation in the place where we, we both understand that we're living in a future we did not choose. Mm. So I didn't choose for it to be this way. You didn't choose for it to, to be this way. And ultimately, you know, most of the updates that we're receiving are from perspectives that don't match the one that we try to live in, which is that of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we're taking everything with a grain of salt. We understand that, like, you know, I, I, I've said this statement over and over again, and I want to say it because it's true. Like before we're white, before we're black, before we're male, female, whatever, we're Christians. Yeah. And so everything starts like as we start unpacking through the lens of Christ and uh, being Jesus in this world, not expecting righteousness from people who don't know Jesus. Mm. And uh, we, we just begin to process it saying like, hey, what is the problem? What are people actually after? Why was this such a big deal? Asking the right question is a great place to start as well. That's good, man. So a few days ago, I saw you posted a picture. It looks like it was of like your notes app where maybe just, you know, you randomly threw down some thoughts. Uh, I love what you titled it. It was thoughts of a better tomorrow. Dude, that picture had gotten shared hundreds of times and through all social media platforms. How did this list really come to you? When did you write it? Um, and did you think that it would have the impact that it's having right now publicly? No, I did not. And it, and it did. It got shared hundreds of times on Facebook, thousands of times on Instagram. And I was just like, what is going on? Yeah. I, it, I wrote the, the list in three minutes and I had a specific person in mind. Wow. It was a, a student, of, a student, a girl that used to be a student of mine that is now a youth pastor. And she was asking me my opinion mm. on what I think we should be doing or what could help us uh, capitalize on this moment and make it one that, that is positive. And so it took me three minutes to write the list. There was no punctuation. Wow, right, no good. And I just shared it with her. And she said, can you post this to Instagram? And I was like, sure. I mean, like, yeah. I just sent it to you. So I posted it and it just went crazy. And so uh, wow. I, I think it's good because then that list is filled of, uh, of just, it was just me being real 
but yeah. also me saying, hey, listen, like this isn't about making any skin color feel bad or, or right. being, you know, or trying to be in a position where, you know, I'm demanding something from someone else. This is just a list, honestly, that can help us step into the future in a way uh, that, that leads towards harmony and reconciliation. So the list really, it was formed out of, it, it was formed with one person in mind, yeah. but I guess it just spoke to a lot more people. So that was really cool that that happened. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I want to work through that list, man, because I really believe, again, what we're trying to accomplish is is how to have that conversation. And I believe that this list can really help that conversation evolve and help that conversation flow. So I just want to talk through those, man. The first one that you wrote on there, this is the one that really just gripped me, bro. Like I saw it and I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm reading every word of this list. You said uh, one of the steps for a better tomorrow is um, see color and celebrate people. Can you explain that for us? Yeah, man, this is, uh, this was kind of birthed out of the thought, you know, people say it all the time and I understand in the context in which they're saying it. So it, it wasn't to shame them, to make them feel bad, but people, uh, who are of different ethnicity will try to say, uh, to connect with another ethnicity, they'll say, I don't see color. And mm. what they're saying when they see that, when they say that is they're trying to create a, a, a bridge to that person saying like, Hey, your skin color doesn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, but what that communicates is uh, to people of different colors, what it communicates is that uh, you don't want to see me, right? Mm. You don't, and, and that's and that's why a lot of things are happening the way they're happening right now. Is people, especially black people, right now don't feel seen. So I said, see color and celebrate people. Uh, and what I mean by that is acknowledge the beauty and the differences of the culture around you. Yes. Right? Like uh, my youth pastor did such a great job. I mean, he was a a, a bald white dude. Uh, it looked like Mr. Clean. We used to rub his head for good luck. Great <laughs> awesome. man. Uh, he let us love on him in the only way we knew how to, which is make cracking jokes at each other and things yeah. like that. But uh, but I remember him sitting me down consistently and telling me, Peter, because of your skin color, God is going to open up doors for you. Your skin wow. is so beautiful. Son, you are perfect. Man, if mm. you were any other color, you wouldn't be Peter Reese. He made me feel so good in my own skin. And especially when I would invite him into my home, yeah. And, uh, you know, he had a really quiet family and he'd come into my house, which was rowdy and <laughs> people are not just, you know, they're pulling you, they're not just shaking your hand, they're pulling you in That's and, right. and loving on you. And, and, uh, it was just a different world for him. And he kept asking questions. Hey, why do you say that? Why do you do that? And it wasn't like weird. It was like, oh, we do it because of this. Oh, actually we didn't, we never thought about that. And he, I could tell he wanted to know what was important to me so that he could celebrate it with me. And that's what, and that's really what I think this comes down to right from the very beginning is black people don't feel seen and they don't feel celebrated. And uh, I'm not, and I'm not even just going to say just black people. I'm talking about people of all different kinds. Yeah. We have to see color and celebrate it. Some people even say this, they'll say God is colorblind, colorblind to which I'll say, no, he's absolutely not. He's the one that created all these different yes. colors. If anyone has a high definition picture of the colors <laughs> in the world, it is our God almighty. So much so that even from the beginning of scripture in Genesis, when we get to Joseph, it says that his father, which is a picture of God Almighty, gave the son, Joseph, mm. who's a type of Christ, a coat of many colors, wow. symbolizing what I believe is our first picture of God's intention when it came to color. So, yeah, I say see it and celebrate it because I think that's the starting point. If you feel uncomfortable celebrating people who are different skin color from you, man, we're in trouble. And as pastors, we have to try to inquire about uh, about people's ethnicity. It goes beyond their skin color, but inquire about who they are, what's important to them, so that we can help them move forward and so that we know how to celebrate them. Man, dude, that is so powerful. I love that story of Joseph, man. And I mean, just hearing about that coat of many colors, like, dude, what a great perspective of, of how diverse even our God is and how diverse he created us, man. I love it. That is, that is powerful stuff, bro. Yeah. So, one of the things too, uh, this one kind of leads to um, something else I want to talk to you later on here, but you, you say that number two on, on this list is that uh, understand that silence is a sign of approval. So now my question is this, man, like I know for me personally, and I know if I've heard this a lot, and so I want to be 
real careful and I want to be genuine with you with this. Um, I'm silent on a lot of topics that I don't agree with. I'm not typically a person that loves Facebook debates, man. Like, you know, (laughs) even though I've got an opinion on theology, I don't want to get into this crazy debate or politics or even parenting. You know, I, and I, I seriously, man, I want to be clear. Like I've not been silent on this topic, but, but what do you say to people who say something like, I just don't know what to say, or for fear of what you said here in number one, you know, thinking they're saying the right thing, like, like, Hey, I don't see color, but then it ends up being more offensive. They're they're afraid that, that maybe that they, if they say something, it would be the wrong thing and and make it worse. And, and man, I've heard those statements. I've heard people who are truly genuine, you know, say that I don't know what to say. So I'm going to remain silent. Peter, help us with this, man. How can we not remain silent and and move forward in this conversation? Yeah, first, let me break this question up into a few different parts. The first part being what I meant when I said silence is a sign of approval. Now, because of the world we live in, this is always taken in the context of social media. Yeah. But this phrase was really around before social media was even birthed. And so what I mean when I say silence, I'm not just talking about silence publicly, because I feel like... Man, we spend so much time trying to craft the perfect statement for our social media platforms. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that it helps more people. I think it helps less people than we actually think it That's does. Right. When I say when I say silence is a sign of approval, what I'm talking about is what I think is the most impactful thing that people could do uh, in this moment. And that's to call the people within your sphere of influence mm. and check in on how they're doing. It's to, it's to really connect with those people. And so what I mean is I, I should have been more clear instead of making it so general, but silence to the people who matter in your life yes. is a sign of approval, right? Because it's not for the general public. You know, it's not for everyone's posting their opinions, everyone's sharing their thoughts, but we're not calling one another. We're not connecting with one another. And, and I'll say this again, back to my youth pastor, because I, you know, again, on the other side of the coin, as a leader, I'm trying to do that for my students. But I remember my pastor uh, in a situation uh, in my city in, in Philadelphia, where there was a, a, a black man who we, you know, the, the, the city thought there was prejudice against. And yeah. there was a story going out, not to this dimension, but somewhere around the similar thoughts. And my youth pastor pulled me aside and he called me and he talked to me. He said, how are you feeling? What's going on? I told him. And then what he did, oh, this is so powerful. What he did was one of the most impactful things that have ever happened in my mm. life. He told me, he said, this is what I heard you say. And he repeated back to me everything I just told him I felt. Friend, that is what I mean when I say silence is not a sign of approval. It's not about you crafting a post. And a lot of us are, you know, we're we're those who go against the grain. We're like, if someone tells us we have to post, we're like, well, guess what, buddy? I'm not posting, you know? And so so that's not what I'm saying. I think that is the, is the kiddie pool is posting on social media and then yeah. saying, wow, yeah, which a lot of people are doing. They're like, they post on social media. They're like, man, I'm good to go. Yeah. I don't have to say anything more about this. And it's like, no, 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 that's not it. When I say silence is a sign of approval, I'm talking about, are you taking care of the people within your span of influence? Wow. Or do they feel like you're silent? Because if they feel like you're silent and they feel like you don't care, I, I mean, we've all sensed it, right? Like I'm on staff at a church. Um, Sean, I know you've served in different context but like if something crazy is going on in the world and the church doesn't make a statement people assume wow the church doesn't care that person doesn't care right and so silence to the people who matter most to us it's not okay we have to talk through it and this demands a conversation and then i would flip it and say to the people who don't know what to say um first of all i i apologize for you feeling like you have to say something publicly (laughs) you don't you know um I, uh, I'll, I'll be very vague and, and say, or uh, not vague, but very vulnerable and say this. I saw an image on social media of a black dude yelling at this white lady on the street and told her to like, get on your knees mm. and say sorry to me uh, because wow. of what your people did to me. And I think that is 150% wrong. Uh, she ended up doing it, but my heart was broken because mm. it doesn't actually communicate value if I have to coerce you into understanding where I'm at, what brought me value in the context of my youth pastor is that he said, Peter, I want to understand. Yes. And then was able to tell me again. So, so that willingness from him is what made it powerful. Not me forcing him, you know what I'm saying? To, to come in and say something or to try to get one that. So the pe- to the people who don't know what to say, let me go ahead and say this. Um, as leaders, sometimes we struggle to be innovative because we have so much competition. Uh, we have so many visual images. We have so many different thoughts. 
and we struggle to get our thoughts out because we think that they're not good enough. But can I tell you that innovation and knowing what to say in difficult moments comes as, as a result of problem solving. Yeah. Right? If you want to be innovative, all you have to do is problem solve. Anyway, yeah. so what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say it's, it's you calling that student in your student ministry that is of color or has family members in their family that are of color and saying to them, what are you thinking? What's going on? Where are you at? And discovering their issues and then creating a solution to help them navigate that issue. This is not, see, we're, we keep thinking too broad. Like we're going to, yeah. like we're MLK, like we're going to solve this 420 year problem of <laughs> racism right. in, in one post. It's impossible. That's and right. actually to that same fact, can I just say this? This is for everybody, black, white, Asian, blue, brown, everyone. I'm sick and tired of us, uh, of us moving so quickly from hashtag to hashtag. Mm. Do you know who didn't post? Do you know who didn't post on, uh, about Ahmaud Aubrey or about, uh, George Floyd? They're lawyers. You know why? Because they're in the courtrooms actually working to make yeah. change possible. Wow. So we move too quickly from hashtag to hashtag. We make a pot, a post like run for Ahmad. Uh, and then the next week we're on to something else and we're not even following that case anymore. So we have to be more sensitive in that way. But to the people who don't know what to say, stop making it about the entire group and start making it about one person to one person to one person to one person yeah. and help them overcome the challenges that they're facing. Um, and if you feel bad, then I, I was just explaining this to someone the other day. Um, like if you feel bad, uh, I can't tell you what the, re the reason is for that. Some people say, well, I, is it because they keep, you know, people keep talking about the past, you yeah. know, like black people keep wanting to talk about the past and I would, I didn't have anything to do with the past. And I say this, you know, it, it, for me, like when I'm dealing with a student who maybe has had a difficult relationship or been abused of some sort, um, I've realized that for them to tell me the story, uh, is both painful, but also healing for them. Yes, Does that make right. sense? So, right. so I got to let them process. I got to let them talk out loud. Um, I think also that, uh, you know, you're saying leaders think, I don't know what to say. It's not even really about what you say. It's about what you can do. You have to create spaces uh, mm. for your white students. Okay. So for your black students and, and for those of color, those who have family members of color, you got to inquire. But for those who are white and they're trying to understand or different ethnicities or say, I don't get it. Why is this a big deal? You have to create a space for them to be both intelligent and ignorant. Yeah. They have to have a place where they can ask the hard questions yes. and they can process and, and they can begin to ask things. And that's where your statements, your posts, your thoughts, your resolutions will come from. It's in those conversations, mm. in those connections with those students. And so uh, don't be intimidated by the moment. Is there yep. a possibility that you could say the wrong thing? Yes. 110% there is, but man, I'll tell you this. If you're taking care of people, if you're loving people, if you're listening to stories and responding, it's going to be difficult uh, for anyone to judge what you're saying because it's not for them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so Dude, just, that is such just, good advice. I think you should be attentive. Yeah. yeah so oh, powerful, you, man. So powerful. I love that explanation, man. We needed that. I needed to hear that, man. So good. So, so much info in there, man. We could unpack that for the next hour, man. But um, I, I, I want to move on, man, because I really want to get to these right here. Um, you, you said, and even in this last statement, you talked about listen twice as much as you speak. Man, that's just a good life lesson, man. <laughs> like, like, that's just good advice when having a conversation, but so much more so in this time. I've heard that word, active listening, man. So listen twice as much as you speak. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, the best way I can explain this point, um, is, uh, is really when I look at the story of the good Samaritan, mm. um, and, uh, I, I look at that story and there's so many preachable moments in that story. Uh, but, but one of the things that really, uh, just captures my attention is active listening requires action, right? It's not just like active listening requires action in that, like, uh, the Samaritan, you know, the, the Bible tells us there was two other men that walked by, saw this, this guy laying on the floor. He was beaten up badly. Uh, but the Samaritan comes by, uh, sees this man, sees his wounds yeah. and he just bandages them. Yeah. He doesn't pick at them. He doesn't ask the guy, where did you get these wounds? He just takes care of them. Wow. And I think that that's what I mean when I say speak or listen twice as much as you speak is what I'm saying is get lost. Yeah. in other people's stories, get yes. lost in their pain, get lost in where they're coming from, because that's the position from which you're going to be able to help them. 
Um, I, uh, you know, I've been telling this story a little bit and, it, and I'm not telling it because I want sympathy, but I, I've been telling the story of my, my lat. I told you my first encounter with racism when I was in the fourth grade, but my most recent one was, uh, I was at a department store with my wife and, uh, my, my wife spent so much money on, at this <laughs> store. They should name the store after <laughs> us. And, uh, That's awesome. you know, like just crazy enough. And so I realized like in the store, uh, you know, that this lady was, was following me in the store and I mm-hmm. didn't think anything of it. And I thought to myself, I'm like, I don't know who you're looking for, but I want to help you find them because they're yeah. about to be in trouble. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and right. so I, I, I turned back and I asked her, I said, hey, uh, you know, are you following me? And she said, yes. And I said, well, why? And she said, because you matched the profile of mm. somebody who stole from this store just a few weeks ago. Wow. And I said, I said, well, what's their profile? She said, three lighter skinned gentlemen. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> you think I'm light skinned? I, I, I've always wanted to be a young Will Smith, uh, <laughs> yeah. but for those of you listening, I'm a very dark man. Okay, and like <laughs> I am, I am about eleven thirty p.m. at night. So this, there's no way oh, that man. this could have been me. Um, but as I tell that story, I, I tell it to some of my friends who, you know, and and obviously she, you know, the story went on. She said, "Well, no, you know, you really do look like one of these guys." I said, "Okay, well, I'm telling you, it wasn't me. I haven't been here in weeks." And she yeah. said, "I would just feel more comfortable." Uh, we would feel more comfortable if you would just stay at the front of the store. Oh man! Uh, and so I took what I was in my, what I was going to buy in my hands. I put it down and I went to the front uh, of the store. And I tell that story because it allows you as the listener mm. uh, now to get a picture of not just what happened. Oh, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Right. Yeah. But now you can look and see, Oh, that happened to my friend right here, right now, man. listening into the story. Now, now I'm sure Sean, you're an excellent pastor. We have excellent leaders who are going to listen to this podcast. Now you can create a response based on the pain that you know I felt in that moment. That's right. That's what I mean mm. when I say listen twice as much as you speak. Because even your intelligent thoughts aren't intelligent to the person whose thing you're saying to, but you're yep. not addressing their pain. Like you could be saying something really intelligent, but if my problem is over here and uh, to the left and you're speaking to the right, it doesn't matter how awesome it says. It doesn't matter how many times you quote Martin Luther King. If you yep. can't help me with where I'm actually at. Man, that, then it's pointless. So that's why I say wow. that. That's that. Unreal, man. It, it really leads to this next statement here. You, you said, don't act like the problem doesn't exist. You know, and, and it feels like right now because it's just, it's the latest hashtag or it's all over the news or it's all over the feeds of social media that it feels like everyone is fully aware. We know that this problem exists. And now finally, you know, we're going to move forward but man, we've been here several times, Peter. Like, like yeah. it, this is not the first time that that they've been, you know, a, a video of 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 an African American man being killed. You know, this is not the first time that that we've seen uh, brutality right there on our screens. So, you know, speak to this about not acting like the problem doesn't exist. What happens thirty days from now, forty five days from now, when when? everything is kind of settled down. Are we going to still have this same passion and, and moving forward to have these conversations? Right. The, okay. So this point was birthed out of a conversation I had with an individual uh, who was saying that they didn't understand. Again, they, they didn't understand. And uh, we started to talk about um, some things. We started to talk about, um, we started to talk about, you know, why, uh, black people will often refer to the past and we started to talk about, you know, why, um, like why, uh, it's so difficult to just move on past it. And, you know, I said, well, what are your thoughts about world war two? And they were very passionate and they started to tell mm. me about how their gra- their grandfather fought in it. And, uh, you know, just what happened and soldiers lost their lives and very passionate. I said, well, tell me about nine 11, right. You know, yeah. uh, obviously horrible day. Uh, killed all different types of people. Didn't matter your skin color, your race, your social class, nothing. Uh, and they said, never forget 9-11. And I said, mm-hmm. so here we are. You're telling me never forget World War II, never forget 9-11, but we yeah. want to just skip that part of forget slavery, which is actually just as, or not slavery, but segregation, which is yeah. just as close as both of those events. Yes. <laughs> you know what I That's mean? That's right. Like, and it's still taking place. And so I said, this is why it, it, we can't just act like a problem doesn't exist. Like the playing field is similar. I said, you know, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm at all. I'm not saying this is right. But my parents taught me um, 
to, to fear the police. Like, mm. you know, I, th- there's a funny joke around going like, you know, like little white kids used to play cops and robbers and we, and black kids just played robbers and robbers, you know, cause it's like, <laughs> like we, but like we were taught, we were taught like, yo, yeah. the police, if they're, they're looking for an opportunity to take your life, which I understand doesn't make any sense yeah. because you know, there's great cops out there are both black and white. But what I'm That's saying right. is this, is that like, when we act like there's not a problem, what we're saying is that we we're all thinking the same. We all mm. feel the same. And that's not true. Uh, Sean, today, if you got into a car accident, God forbid, and you called your family members and you said, hey, I got into an accident, I'm okay, uh, and the cops are on their way, your family would go, <sighs> they take a mm. deep breath. But if I got into an accident, called my family, and I said, hey, uh, got into an accident, and the cops are on the way, my mother or the, my family would say, why would you call the cop? Wow. Right? Keep me on the yeah. phone. And mm. what I'm saying when I make this point is that you and I have to leave our house two different ways, two different mindsets uh, every single day. Now, granted, I take that, I say that um, I'm not living in fear. And honestly, I'm married to a white woman and, uh, you know, like uh, 98.8% of my uh, interactions with white people have been incredible. But what I am saying is that there's just a difference. We can't act like the problem doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, when I was learning how to drive, Sean, my parents taught me, they said, listen, Peter, um, the way you engage an officer, the way you engage someone getting stuff is super important. And I mean, literally we would practice this in wow. my living room. Like mm. I was going to give this speech at my sixth grade graduation. Oh, wow. My dad would say like, he would be like, dude, so what happens when he asks you for your license and registration? I would say, officer, what I heard you say is you want me to get my license and registration. Mm. Now I'm going to take my hands off the steering wheel and I'm going to reach for my license and for my registration. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Wow. Now I'm moving, right? I'm narrating this whole yeah. thing. And, uh, I, and so that's how I grew up until one time when I was in the car with one of my friends, a white friend, and we got pulled over. And uh, before the officer even got to the window, my friend was screaming and waving his arms. And he's like, you had no right to pull us over. And mm. uh, the officer was just like, sir, calm down. And my friend's like, you have to tell us why you pulled us over. Da-da-da-da. You were coming the other direction. You couldn't even see. Anyway, wow. the officer apologized, mm. apologized, got back in his car and let us go. Wow. And I thought I made a decision right there, Sean. I said, I am never riding in the car without white people again. I said, I'm marrying a white girl. I'm never gonna get in trouble with the law again. You know, so oh, man. all jokes aside, but like I learned something that day yeah. that we just have to think differently. I'm not creating a pity party about it. I'm not and I'm not saying that's the case for every single black person everywhere. I'm just saying that this thing still exists in some capacity. Therefore, we cannot act like it doesn't exist. We That's can't right. act like it's not a real thing. Yeah. That's good, man. So, so much of this stuff is, is, is conversational and, and things that we're thinking about. But this next one you talk about is, is really an action. And, and you mentioned to pick up the phone and empathize with one another. Now, you know, man, this is one of those practical steps. I love practical steps. But again, man, these are that conversations with students and, and with kids, you know, how do we help them do that? What would that kind of call look like? And, and just really, again, kind of speak to that, picking up that phone and empathizing with one another. Right, Sean, I'll be honest with you, both black people and white people hate my answer on this point. Mm. The, reason black, the reason black people hate my answer on this point, or let me start with white people. The reason white people hate my answer on this point is because I'm telling you to inquire about something that's uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I'm asking, hey, how do you feel? Why do you feel this way? What's going on? Tell me about your understanding of what just happened. You know, it, like, what does it mean to be black in America? It's, it's uncomfortable yeah. to ask people those questions. And, and really to track all the way back to one of your earliest questions, like what do people do? They don't know what to do. It's because this is uncomfortable for all of us. Again, we are living in a future we had no decisions on. We did not do this, like, but we're still living in it right now. Yeah. And uh, the re- so, so that, you know, white people really hate like me saying that because it's like, man, like, um, I don't know what even to ask. You're telling me to ask questions. I don't even know what to ask. Ask about pain. Ask about uh, mm. ask about the moment. You know, I, I like to refer to like uh, just this moment of like my wife is pregnant and she's about to give birth, and so you know I've been asking people about what that experience is like, and they're like, Pete, just do whatever she says and make sure she's okay. Inquire about her current state. That's what I'm saying to people. Yes, like do that. Empathize with one another. Try to see the world from each other's perspective. And the reason black people hate my response on this is because when I say empathize with one another talk to one another, call one another. I'm talking about 
people who don't understand too, people who are ignorant to the situation, right? Everyone hates the racist. Nobody wants to help them. So how do we ever expect them to change? If I want somebody, if I want somebody to change, I have to spend time listening to them so I can know what the pressure points in their life are so that I can begin to speak to directly where they are. But if I say they don't even deserve a conversation, they don't get to ask questions, their hate turns my hate up. Man, we both leaving that we leave that conversation going, that dude stinks. But if I can humble myself into the point of Jesus enough to say, listen, I, I'm willing to hear where you're coming from, you know, because most of the time, let's be real too, it's not people like like anybody that under, doesn't understand sometimes the black community would be like, that person's a racist. And that's not mm. true, right? Like sometimes people just don't understand. So for me, I'm just saying, like, I want to make sure that all of us are listening to each other so we can share each other's stories. In context, one person who kind of was very opposed to my thoughts on this and was saying, Pastor Peter, I just don't get it. You know, uh, black people, it's all the same. And, uh, you know, they were making some very insensitive comments. I was able to listen to them. I had no solutions for them. So I said, hey, just watch the movie Just Mercy. I said, Mm. just rent it. You know, watch it. Just, Just watch it. I said, I don't have any solutions for you. Literally, at the end of the movie, they called me and they said, and they're a Christian, but they just didn't. And they said, Peter, they said, I get it. I understand God used that movie Mm. to speak to them. But can you imagine? I don't even have the ability or the courage to tell them to watch that movie. If I don't first listen to them, to their insensitive comments, to their wrongful thinking, I don't even have a way to help them if I don't listen to them first. So that's why I say calling each other, empathizing with one another, explaining our stories, connecting with each other. It's like calling people and saying, Hey, where are you at? This is the first, listen, sorry, you got me going now. Like in scripture, the very first question God asked men is, where are you? Mm. Where are you at? What's going on? You know, and that to me is like one of the most powerful things ever. It's like, that's what we need to keep doing for one another. Where are you? What's going on? Where Mm. are you at? Why are you hiding? Right? Like that's, that's what I mean when I say empathize with one another. And, uh, and, and one of the most powerful, oh, you want to take your team to another level, teach your team how to empathize with your students on the phone, through text and in, in person. And you will yeah. take your team to a different level because when we understand one another, there's a clarity that begins to form. And we know that clarity is the best part of vision. When things are clear, we can begin to develop a vision for who we want to be and where we want to go. So that's, that's right. why I say empathize with one another, let's learn where each other's at. Yeah. And to yeah. grab, to, to gain that kind of understanding, you've got to ask tough questions. You've got to not be okay with just the, the, the little Sunday school answers either, man. You know, like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Okay, no, we, we got to dig deeper, man. I had a conversation yeah. with one of my so good friends, man, Christian uh, is his name. And man, we talked this week and it, it was so open. He, he's an African-American young man. And man, he has uh, done so much in his life. And yet, uh, and, and I've been friends with him for a long time, but I never asked him at all about the racial tensions that he's experienced. And so the other day I picked up the phone and I just listened. And bro, that was one of the most eye-opening conversations. And and I appreciated his openness and he appreciated my willingness to seek understanding. And and he said, mm-hmm. Sean, you're you're never gonna know what it feels like to be a black man in America, but that you're asking these questions makes me feel like you love me and you care for me so much more. And uh, man, that helped me. It, it really did gain some understanding. So I love yeah, that, man. Absolutely. Great. So again, kind of moving on these last few, um, as we kind of run through these eight different things of, of a better tomorrow, um, you, you said to learn the names and the stories of those who were wrongfully killed. This is another practical thing that, that, that really humanizes these stories. It's, it's not just a new story or a name, um, but, but man, it's, you're hearing their story. You're understanding them. Tell me a little bit about that and, and, and how impactful that really can be. Yeah. Now, I, the wording I used on this one was specifically intentional um, that were wrongfully killed. Mm. Uh, you know, George Floyd wasn't wrongfully arrested. Okay. So I need to just clarify that with you because people are like, well, he committed a crime. I'm like, you don't need to tell me that. I yeah. know that. That's right. What I'm, what I'm not asking for him to not be arrested. I'm asking for them not to have his trial on the sidewalk. Wow. That's right. That's right. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and so knowing the stories are important because um, it, you're right. It does humanize people, but it communicates to the people who you're hopefully trying to connect with that. This is more uh, than just a news story to you, uh, that it's more than just a, a situation that happened and could potentially happen again, uh, that this is a human life valued by God. Uh, the reason it's so important to know the names and the stories is because all people are created in the image of God. Yes. And when you remember their name, when you remember their name, the background, the history of the story, it, it creates this bond that sh- that connects people to what you're talking about. Um, I, I think it's very important. People love to hear their name. Um, and, and, and for those people who are gone, when you say their name to people who you're trying to minister to, it shows how important uh, this moment is to you. I just think a lot of people are saying, you know, I saw a post again. This was out of a reaction. I saw a post uh, say case A, case A and case B. Mm. I'm like case A and case B. There's so much more than that. This is a man who yes. had a family. This is a young man with a future, right? Like that's right. When we remember their names, we we begin to make those stories come alive, yeah. and, and that, uh, something alive helps us realize where we're at. Yeah, go ahead, please. That's Sean. right. Yeah, that that that's really where I think for students, man. You know, they can get on a bandwagon with a post or a hashtag. But man, when they can do the research and they can really understand uh, the background and, and this person's name and their family and the history, it it becomes way more than just jumping onto a hashtag or jumping onto a post so that, that you're fitting in with, with everyone else. And, and I think that's important for us to, to have in our conversations with students and with kids across the board, man. Yeah, um, absolutely. This next one you said, just very simply, don't generalize people. Uh, boy, this one, this one right here, man, can go a lot of ways. Take it, t- take it and run with it, bro. Yeah. I mean, so beautifully as, as you said it, like not all black people are bad. Not all cro- cops are crooked. Not all white people are racist. Let's stop doing that to each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like let's stop adding fuel to the fire and, and clumping a whole group of people who don't even know each other together you know what mm. i'm saying um you know and i and uh you know I, I know people have different thoughts about this and and privilege and things like that but i was talking to a friend who's irish and uh, he was telling me you know about the mistreating of irish people uh oh. by different people yeah and uh, he said so when people just clump me together and say you have no idea of the pain he goes no but my fit you know maybe not to the extent that you're talking about but i have an idea and i just think that it's wrong uh, and it's not smart. It's very unintelligent to group people together yes. uh, when we're so different. Like we live in a culture that values ind- individuality. It's why we can change our phone backgrounds and our settings yeah. and our ringtones and our clothes and our tattoos and all these things. Yeah. I'm not saying you should get any of those things. But what <laughs> I'm saying is that our culture values that. Yet when we get to a situation like that, we're like, yep, all of those people right there together. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. generalizing people has never led to a better solution. It's always led to more yeah. chaos. People are individuals. God created each and every one of them individual, I- individual, like they all have a unique fingerprint. And uh, man, we let's not just group together people just for the sake of things. Do some people uh, want to be grouped together? Absolutely. Then so yeah. we can do that, but not, we can't say all, we can't say everyone. And uh, right. we can't determine that, you know, so I don't generalize people. It never helps. It only adds to the chaos. That's good, man. So your last statement here, man, finally here to this, this last one. And I love it. He said, treat one another the way that you want to be treated, man. That's the golden rule, bro. Like we learned that in kids church. So are you telling us that it's really that simple, man? If we just really do this, you know, then, then that is going to solve this problem, treating one another the way we want to be treated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the thing is um I look at the I look at the story of the Good Samaritan and mm-hmm. we don't know this dude's name. We don't know we we don't know where he's from. Um we don't know why he did what he did simply other than out of the kindness of his heart. But his story will be told throughout the will be echoed throughout the voices of history. Yes. Because at the most basic way you know, in the most basic understanding, I feel like he took care of that guy in a way that he would want to be treated. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just, man, I just think that that is the solution is to consistently say like, what would I need if I was found in this position? And some, and some people can't even picture themselves being found in that position, but you can, you can think of something like it, you know? Um, 
I, uh, I, I was trying to explain to one of my students uh, the severity of the, of the situation. And, and you know, the, the student asked me, like, what do black people actually want? And I said, to make sure that something like this can't happen again. Mm. And uh, we were kind of talking about it. And like, if it does happen again uh, in, in the George Floyd case or whatever, that th- those cops would be tried or arrested immediately, tried and all those yeah. things. And I said, in the case of Ahmaud Arbery, Arbery like, uh, it, it wouldn't be like three months before these people get arrested because yeah, of a citizen's exactly. arrest. Like, you know, when, if, if I went to Sean's house right now and stole a fork, I'd get arrested in 20 minutes. Right. So like, that's yeah. what we're kind of hoping for. Uh, but I, I started to tell that student. I said, you know, like, um, I said, has there ever been a time when, uh, and uh, you know, when you've seen your mom get mistreated and, and they started to tell me about a time. And I said, so what did you need in that moment? And they began mm-hmm. to tell me, and I said, that's exactly what all of your black friends are crying wow. out for right now. Mm-hmm. They're crying out for a voice. They're crying out for comfort. They're crying yeah. out for, you know what I mean? And they were able to see. And so I think like when we could put our, again, it's, it comes back to empathy again as well. That's when right. we could see ourselves and, and sense what we would need, what we would need in these moments, we're able to be so effective uh, to the people around us. It's as simple as yeah. the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's the secret sauce to a thriving society. It's why the early church exploded because they weren't just taking care of each other's needs because they're like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. It's because they were treating each other the way they would want them to treat yes. the, the way they would want to be treated. They were talking to each other's children the way they would want someone right. to talk to their children. That's they were right. educating one another the way they would want to be educated. And it, it created such a harmony amongst them. And here's the thing. I'm not calling for harmony in America. I don't think it can happen without the spirit of God. Yeah. Uh, I'm not demanding righteousness from people who don't know Jesus. Mm. But as the church, we can set ourselves in line to reflect the nature of our king in his kingdom. And that's to look at people who don't know him is to turn our ear towards them. And because we know where the hurting people are, that's where Jesus is. Let's be those people. Let's treat people the way we want to be treated. Let's bend our ears towards their stories and let's do something uh, to help them grow. So that's what I would say about that. So powerful, man. So powerful. Well, hey, Peter, let's let's wrap this up, man. What advice would you give to youth pastors and kids pastors, church leaders that are out there listening? Um, what would be your advice for them over the next three to six months? Yeah, whew, this is I love this question. Again, back to the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I, I love this story. Yeah, uh, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> at the, I think though we we get too excited in the middle of the story after he. He takes the man, you know, because there's so many preacher boys. Let me just go through them for a quick second. Uh, you know, in the story, he, 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 all the other two guys walk on the other side of the road and the Samaritan walks on the right side of the road. So it's like, boom, point number one, yeah. make sure you're walking on the right side of the road. Come on, mm. now we'll preach. That's right. And you go to the next one. And, and it says that uh, this dude has wounds and the Samaritan begins to bandage him up. Again, I already said he didn't ask him, hey, where did these come from? How did you get them? He just bandaged them up. Make sure you're the kind of people, that, the kind of person that doesn't poke at people's wounds, but you bandage them mm. up, right? Uh, wow. That will preach. Then you get later on to the story and it says that the, the Samaritan puts the man on his donkey. Well, he was obviously riding in from someplace, which yeah. means when he puts that man on the donkey, he inconveniences himself so that another man can be taken care of. Boom. We got to consistently inconvenience ourselves yes. if we're actually going to take care of hurting people. And I think once we get to that point in the story, we're like, Ooh, come on. Yeah. That is so good. <laughs> and then it says this, but I think the power of the story is in the last line of the story. Uh, it says that he takes this man to an end, tells the innkeeper, here's what I have. But he says this, but tomorrow, um, or he says, I'll leave tomorrow. And when I get back and when I come back, and when I come back, yeah. I'll pay for everything else that you spent on this man. Mm. I think that the most powerful thing we can do about leaders uh, as leaders is not just talk about it, not just take care of wounds, not just inconvenience ourselves, but remind ourselves that we have to come back. Yes. I'm telling you, mm. we got to come back to this thing. I got to recheck in with those students. So good. I got to make sure they're good. And here's the truth. Somebody asked me too, Sean. They said, how, how do we lead our kids away from racism? And, and a couple of people we're on the conversation. Someone said, uh, you know, try ethnic cuisine, take them on mission trips. Mm. You know, all those things are good. Um, you know, do, do this, do that. But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, if you really want to lead your kids away from racism, uh, invite, uh, encourage them to invite people who don't look like them into the safest parts of their life. What I mean by that is my parents teaching me how to love all people the same 
my parents, and they worked for the United Nations. They invited different kinds of people into our home. Yeah. And I watched my mom serve them and talk to them the same, love them the same, yeah. right? Take care of them the same. Be aware. I, I, I just want to tell leaders, like, be aware uh, of what's happening with your students. Like, you know, even just a couple months ago, or, or maybe it was even a year ago, Black Panther came out. And people were making jokes and laughing. Like a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork to see this. Well, you got to understand this was the first time the yeah. word super was attached to something or, or someone that was black. Wow. So of course mm. people saw the movie 65 times and yeah. were dressing up in their African outfit. Yeah. Right? Like, what am I saying? The leader, I'm saying, come back, continue mm. the conversation. Let not another murder have to take place for That's us right. to talk about equality and diversity wow. and equity in our student ministries and in our kids ministries let's not just buy white baby dolls for the nursery let's get yeah. black baby dolls and for mm, the pastor let's not just let's not just protest and march let's make our churches look more like our city or more what we want yeah. our city to look like and hire black pastors and ethnic pastors and latino pastors and if you can't hire them then create them and develop them and train them let's make more permanent answers to the yeah. questions we're asking because here's what i think Sean. i think the unconscious behavior is what's literally killing this next generation yeah and they're going to end up in the same place that we're at right now what i mean unconscious i'm talking about the suburban mom who yes she's she says she's not a racist and we believe her she's not a racist but every time uh, a group of black kids walk past her car she locks her car door i'm telling mm. you right now your kids see that they see it they, they see it. And it's, it's those things that we as leaders have to be on the front end of and talking about and expressing. And, and we got to and we got to use other names other than uh, uh, Bob and Tom. We got to use names like Jamal when we're making yeah. up stories sometimes. Right. Mm. Like we have to bring the cultures together. Dude, I'm so passionate about that. Man. I love that. Bro, you got me all fired up today, Peter. Man, <laughs> I'm loving this. This is so, so good. Hey, Peter, yeah. thank you so much, man, just for being open for being real, for being honest with us today, man, you have helped the Rocky Mountain youth pastors and kids pastors and ministers, and, and I believe many more, man, just your heart and your passion just bleeds through, even from a phone call, man. I wish that you were here in studio, bro. I'd give you a big hug right now, man, <laughs> and uh, we'd go hang out oh, and grab man. some food. But, um, dude, I love you, man. And thank you, thank you, thank you for, for just helping leaders start a conversation um, with their students that, that I love what you said here that hopefully lasts a long time and we can revisit that and revisit it, man. So, so thanks for being the voice, bro, for this generation, for impacting those. Everyone around you, man, is better for knowing you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. This is such an honor to be on here. And to the pastors who are listening to this, I love you. You were created for this moment. And I believe that God's going to do something great through your ministries as you step out in faith in this season. Awesome, man. Well, hey, guys, thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more resources just like this one, you can subscribe to this podcast. You can also go to rmdc.org and go under the Church Ministries tab for plenty of podcasts, resources, and helpful tools that will help your ministries of your local church grow and succeed. Thanks for listening. Thank you for spending time with us around the table. For more resources just like this one, visit thetableresources.com. 